Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Serving Adults with Disabilities on the Autism Spectrum. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on February 28, 2018. In this podcast, Dr. Christina Nicolaitis, Co-Director of Academic Autism Spectrum Partnership in Research and Education, provides an understanding of autism and examines the unique care management needs of adults with disabilities who are on the autism spectrum. Great. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, Can we move to the next slide? Great. So um, before we start, I just want to make a few minor notes about language. First of all, you'll hear me use the term autism and autism spectrum disorder relatively interchangeably. Um, Both terms really talk about a a complex neurodevelopmental disability that affects social communication, sensory processing, and scope of interests. Um, You also may note that, um, or you might be surprised that I'm not using person-first language. Please understand that 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 is not out of either ignorance or disrespect, but um, by respecting the wishes of my autistic partners, many of whom feel that, many of whom prefer identity first language, for example, autistic adult versus person first language. Uh, What they've explained to me is that person first language is wonderful when you're trying to separate the person from an unwanted medical condition, for example, person with HIV, person with cancer, but that 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 can feel stigmatizing to somebody who considers autism a part of their identity much in the same way that we wouldn't say person with femaleness or person with whiteness or person with homosexuality. Um, They also feel that on the autism spectrum is an acceptable alternative. Um, Next slide, please. So um, just to to be clear, the, um, whoops, can we have, oh, here, sorry. The DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, has been changing rapidly over the last decades, um, and that sometimes causes confusion to to providers and to the community. The latest version, DSM-5, has combined what used to be called autistic disorder, Asperger's disorder, childhood disintegrative disorder, and pervasive developmental disorder, not otherwise specified, into this one big term called um, autism spectrum disorder. Um, One problem with the word spectrum is that autism actually doesn't really manifest on a linear spectrum. Um, it's actually kind of across multiple spectra. So you might find that somebody is very strong in their verbal skills but has really hard time with their adaptive functioning, or somebody might um, um, have challenges with uh, need, need for consistency but not so much with something else. Um, what I've also found is that these challenges really change depending on environmental stimuli, supports, and stressors. So somebody might be able to function quite well in one environment and then put them in another environment, often the one we're seeing them in, in that they're sick, they're, 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 there's been a crisis, and they'll, they'll function very differently. We also today are talking about adults. and. People mature over time. This is like no adult is is like they were as children. And certainly, what we find is that as 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 autistic children turn into autistic adults, they mature just the rest of like the rest of us do. Um, They also learn many coping skills, um, and um, and that will also affect how they how they function and how they present. Next slide, please. So. just in terms of the of the DSM, 
um, I just want to basically say there's two big buckets that um, that we care about. One is the um, what the DSM considers persistent deficits in social communication and social interaction. These are things um, that might, as an adult, manifest in challenges in understanding nonverbal communication or um, figuring out when it's their turn to speak or in understanding the um, social uh, cues that might present in their work environment um, or in other situations. The second big bucket is what the DSM considers restricted repetitive patterns of behaviors, interests, and other activities. And that's where we find people will have um, potentially stereotyped or repetitive motor movements, what we call stims. Um, they might have um, a great need for consistency or insistence on, on uh, sameness. What the DSM calls highly restricted fixated interests of abnormal intensity or focus, what many of us really in, in academia consider our specialties, but you'll find that adults will often have um, high uh, degree of knowledge and interest in one one or two uh, narrow areas, and then very importantly, hyper or hypo-reactivity to sensory inputs, um, and that can often really make or break our interactions um, with autistic individuals is understanding how key the sensory aspects are of the condition. Next slide, slide please. So. Um, over the, the past few decades, the prevalence of autism seems to have skyrocketed. Most, um, most people believe that that isn't actually because something has truly changed, but because we keep changing our definitions and our understanding of what autism actually is. Um, people in the baby boom generation didn't even have a chance to be considered autistic as children because it wasn't even in the DSM. Our Gen Xers, um, we didn't even have Asperger's in the DSM until uh, 1995. Um, so as you can see, we've mostly been uh, looking at, at today's version of autism in the children that were born in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, that group of children has um, grown up now and are entering adulthood, but that doesn't mean that there haven't always been autistic adults there. Uh, a large, well-conducted um, population-based study uh, that really just went and did new diagnoses door-to-door uh, -door, found approximately a 1% prevalence of, of autism in, uh, in the adult population with no change in age. Um, what uh, we do know is that there's continued underdiagnosis of autism in women of any age and in people of, of color, and that will see probably change, I'm hoping, over the next, um, uh, next few years. Next slide, please. So um, as a healthcare provider, especially as an adult healthcare provider, I'm rarely in the position of treating autism per se, what I'm often treating or looking out for are associated conditions. There's a growing literature on conditions that are associated with autism, um, which include epilepsy, um, uh, especially in, in, um, in participants with uh, co-occurring um, intellectual disabilities, uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease and multiple other gastrointestinal conditions, feeding and nutrition problems, metabolic syndromes, and a very, very high prevalence of anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, and unfortunately suicidality. We're also starting to get new information um, as well as many anecdotal 
concerns around post-traumatic stress symptoms associated with the childhood treatments we're giving, um, for example, such as um, applied behavioral analysis. Um, we also know that the um, autistic individuals have a higher risk of experiencing violence and abuse. Um, and unfortunately, all of this put together amounts to a reduced life expectancy, um, which we find is largely driven by um, seizures um, and, uh, and suicide, as well as poor care for the many other um, uh, co-occurring conditions. Next slide, please. So um, important things to, uh, to think about is not to stereotype people uh, on the spectrum. Um, if you look at uh, current media, we have quite a lot of images of what it is to be autistic. There's an adage around you've met one autistic if you've, you've if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person, and there's really quite a, a a lot of variation. The other thing is that though we're talking about autism in a clinical context, um, we do have to remember that autistic traits can be both strengths and challenges. Um, as I mentioned earlier, what can be considered an abnormality of a restrictive interest can actually be great expertise in an area. Um, or what could, you know, or could, for example, help somebody manage their chronic illnesses because they use their con their, their consistency for good. Um, similarly, I often find that um, people expect that. Um, that autistic individuals will not only have these stereotypical traits, but will also have these savant-type um, um, uh, qualities. And again, that uh, is not true. Um, some do, but certainly some don't, and that can be harmful. Um, and then finally, um, though autism is defined as a social communication disability, it doesn't actually mean that people shy away for so from social interactions. Um, they just have very different interactions, and many may maintain strong friendships and relationships. I can tell you my closest friend in the world is uh, an autistic adult, and though it might be a really bad idea to take her to a cocktail party, uh, that doesn't mean that she can't actually have true friendships um, have two true friendships and and really be there as much as a support to me as I am to her. Next slide. So um, I'd like to move a little bit more now to uh, healthcare. Um, as, a, as a healthcare provider, I'm very well aware of how challenging it can be for me to uh, uh, provide optimal care to my patients on the autism spectrum. Uh, next slide, please. So before we even talk about um, uh, uh, about um, uh, autism, we need to just talk about disability. And I can't imagine that anyone listening to this talk today doesn't know that social issues greatly impact health and healthcare. Um, the large literature um, that um, that shows that disability status uh, and health disparities are often associated with poor performance on measures that are linked to value-based purchasing payment uh, pro purchase program payments. Um, and we know that people with disabilities in general experience worse health outcomes, experience difficulties or delays in receiving necessary health care, have limited knowledge or access to sexual health information. Um, and sadly, again, as we're talking about adults, we find that there's this huge service cliff as um, children with disabilities transition from adolescence to adulthood. Next slide. 
So in my own work, um, we, my colleagues and I did a, a survey um, quite a number of years ago in 2013 comparing autistic adults to non-autistic adults with and without other disabilities. And we found that autistic adults reported greater unmet health care needs. In particular, they reported greater unmet physical health needs, mental health needs, and prescription medication needs. They also had a greater use of, emergency, of the emergency department, which to me really signifies a failure of our primary care system. We also found that they had lower use of preventative services such as pap smear, and overall lower satisfaction with patient-provider communication and with healthcare, with their own ability to manage their healthcare or what we call healthcare self-efficacy. Next slide. Um, also, in another study that my colleagues and I did, um, we found that, that people without disabilities exper experienced fewer barriers to healthcare in general compared to autistic people and people with other disabilities. But then when we specifically looked at autistic people, we, they, they reported different barriers to healthcare than people with other disabilities in a greater number of them. Um, and overall, their, 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 their utilization reflected a different pattern of healthcare usage. Um, in our study, at least, the top barriers that autistic people um, described um, or endorsed were fear or anxiety, um, feeling that they can't process information fast enough in real time, um, concerns about cost. Um, they were concerned that facilities uh, caused all sorts of sensory issues that then impacted their ability to actually um, uh, interact with their providers. And then they, um, not surprisingly, mentioned uh, great difficulty in communicating with providers. Next slide. So. Um, for this next section, I'm going to focus on a qualitative study my colleagues and I did, uh, truly, really trying to understand more in depth the experiences of autistic adults, their supporters, and their primary care providers. Next slide. We heard lots of stories. Some were positive, some were quite negative. But overall, what we found is that the success of a healthcare interaction really depended on an interplay between different factors. And we, were, we grouped the factors into multiple levels. Um, first of all, there were the typical participant level factors, things that uh, we would expect with autism, their verbal communication skills, um, their atypical nonverbal communication, their sensory sensitivities, their challenges with body awareness, the slow processing speed, things that, again, we had heard of before. What we found, however, is that those things really mattered in relation to what the provider was, was doing. So we had a number of provider-level factors, such as the knowledge and incorrect assumptions about autism, the provider's willingness to provide accommodations, and the provider's skill in incorporating care partners. And then, of course, all of this happens in the larger context of system-level factors, um, which included the availability of formal and informal supports, the complexities of our healthcare system, um, and accessibility and stigma. And then, of course, all of this also gets impacted by the very well-known uh, socioeconomic factors. Um, so um, all our participants, but especially duly eligible participants, may also experience additional barriers, you know, for example, things like transportation, housing, nutrition, and so on. Next slide. So um, 
this is, I'm just going to highlight a few of the things that to me um, really were very telling. First of all, I keep making note of these sensory sensitivities. Um, this is um, a quote from one of, our, uh, one of our study participants. She says, the lights in the office were very bright, and that is exacerbated by the white walls. Sometimes the waiting rooms are crowded, and I cannot filter out the background of people talking or shuffling magazines. I feel disoriented by being led down long hallways to different rooms. I'm not able to bring up my concerns because it is all I can manage to figure out what the doctor is saying so I can respond to his questions. But he refills my usual meds and I go on my way. Next slide. We also heard quite a lot about body awareness, which again as a provider is important for me to remember. Um, people uh, said things like, um, like when I ask, when they ask if pain is shooting or stabbing or burning, it's like, I don't know, it just feels funny. Or the problem is it's difficult for me to isolate specific sources of pain and identify duration and intensity. It's sort of like the equivalent of white noise. Next slide. Um, I was unfortunately very saddened to hear how many times providers um, failed to um, accommodate um, uh, um, accommodate patients or or, um, uh, or understand their autism, as this participant said. Um, I've used my Alpha Smart when my uh, when my speech is too slow or difficult to understand for medical appointments. Some of the doctors have been really great, but others have acted really condescending when I used it. Sometimes assuming I needed a parent present, so I try to go without, even when my speech is in poorer shape. Or as another uh, participant said. Usually, when I demonstrate a large vocabulary or some fundamentals, my needs, especially around communication, are then ignored. My choice is then to pretend to be less intelligent and accept their infantilism, or to be confused, frustrated, and stressed out. Next slide. Um, uh, similarly, um, another participant said, um, I prefer and find it easier to communicate in text, but with every doctor I speak to, they wave away the note card and look at me to ask me the same question I have just answered and interpret my confusion as my being noncompliant with the medicine. I wish healthcare providers would read the notes I make for them. Or as another participant said, uh, this one is actually a supporter talking about uh, trying to support her adult son in healthcare interactions. Um, but they talk to him in the same words they'd use if they were talking to me. If they're going to talk to him, they need to say it and how he can understand it. Next slide. And then largely, um, what we often found is that due to the various communication dis um, uh, problems, due to the breakdowns of um, offering accommodations, patients often felt that they had uh, been deprived of their patient autonomy. For example, as this participant said, um, just because I might need more information to understand things, it doesn't mean that they can or should just talk to me like a child or leave me without knowledge of my own health. My body is my body, and my experiences and wishes about my body are mine to make. Next slide. Um, I largely work one-on-one -on -one with patients in, um, in my exam room. However, much of what um, is happening is really outside of my exam room, and I'm hoping that at least some of those of you on this call can actually help with the larger system. Um, we've heard story after story about how 
difficult it is really for anyone to manage our crazy health system, but especially for somebody with executive functioning um, challenges or other things related to autism. Um, as this young woman explained, um, I wish they understood how easy it is to get confused with all the administrative hoops a patient has to jump through to get help. It sounds pathetic at my age, but I need someone to hold my hand. I don't know what I'm doing, but nobody understands that I need that, and there's definitely nobody willing to do it. Next slide. So um, we've heard a lot from patients about their um, concerns with the healthcare system. As a provider, I can tell you part of it's also that we just don't get the training. I, I don't think I had a word about autism in anywhere in my medical school residency or fellowship uh, experience, and that is not unusual. Um, a study done down at Kaiser Permanente in Northern California um, found, oops, I'm sorry, um, found that 77% uh, of healthcare providers uh, rated their, um, their um, skills in providing care to autistic adults as poor or only fair. Um, and, um, and multiple other studies have, have shown that um, providers really don't have the, the, the skills training or confidence in, in taking care of their uh, adult patients. Um, the other thing I can say as a provider is very challenging is that the, the people on the spectrum really vary so greatly. So it's very hard to have, you know, a short little training say, okay, this is what you have to do to take care of an autistic adult, when in fact one of my patients may be, you know, an engineer and the other one of my patients may be nonverbal and um, living with 24-hour support. Um, so um, it's really important for us to think about um, individualized patient level um, accommodations, which is what we'll be talking about uh, further uh, in the talk today. Next slide. So again, given the context that we can't just make accommodations that work for everybody, I still wanted to um, give some examples of things that health providers and health systems can do. So for example, before of, of, um, a visit, it's perfectly reasonable to ask staff to inform the participant about what's likely to happen during the visit, enable the participant to, to procure pictures of the office and our staff. For my own child when he was younger, I would just go the day before or the week before and take pictures of things, and just having been able to show him the pictures um, made such a difference in him being able to tolerate a visit. Um, generally, we do, you know, I know time is money, and I know time is, is, is really challenging, and I struggle with time, but we often do need to schedule longer appointments. Um, we also avoid rescheduling appointments, something that might be um, just a minor deal to somebody else may be really a huge problem to a patient or to a participant who really needs consistency. Um, in the waiting room, notify the participant about how long they'll wait um, and, um, and check in with them. And then encourage participants to prepare notes in advance about what they wish to discuss. Um, and ident identify and, and document participants' sensory sensitivities. So for example, when um, a medical assistant is rooming a patient, they can, they can room them in a room that has natural lighting as opposed to the fluorescent lights, which are such a problem for many of our um, autistic participants. Next slide. Similarly, during a visit, 
um, providers can do things to help. For example, make a problem list with a participant, um, show equipment to a participant before using it, or do a trial run of difficult exams and procedures. Um, you know, I make all sorts of, of recommendations. Actually show them what you want them to do before they leave the office. And then give time to process what's been said. Uh, sometimes it's in the visits. Sometimes we actually need to break visits into multiple visits. And then again, accommodating um, sensory sensitivities. Next slide. So um, I'm going to move on to talking about um, the autism, the Aspire uh, um, Healthcare Toolkit, um, which is uh, something we've been working on as a team now for several years. Um, can move on to the next slide. So um, the Aspire Healthcare Toolkit is. is was created as a part of this ongoing research project with my research team, Aspire. Um, we've used a community-based participatory research approach whereby we as researchers work with autistic adults, people who support individuals on the autism spectrum, and with healthcare providers and disability providers in every phase of the research project. Um, the, 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 we've created a toolkit that is basically separated into uh, two different parts. One is for patients and supporters, and the other is for healthcare providers. Um, and we can move to the next, uh, the next slide. So the provider part of the website um, is meant for both providers and staff, certainly. I'm, I'm hoping it would be helpful for um, uh, people who are working outside the healthcare system, too, in, in, in supporting people um, with their healthcare. Um, it offers materials, resources, and practical information to help providers offer high-quality primary care. Um, that part of, this, um, of the toolkit is broken down into four segments, including inf autism information, um, diagnosis information and referrals, um, a lot of details around specific um, uh, strategies uh, and accommodations we can do to care for participants on the autism spectrum, and then some sections about legal and ethical considerations and, and various uh, resources. Next slide. Um, the patient um, and supporter part of the website um, is really intended to help patients um, advocate for themselves as best as possible and be activated uh, to, um, to manage the health system. It offers information and detailed instructions, um, 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 uh, all of which has been um, edited very carefully by my team of autistic partners to really make sure that the language is accessible uh, and specific enough to, to, to deal with the language pragmatic issues that often come up with autism. Um, that part of the toolkit has sections around navigating the health system, staying he healthy, uh, informing participants about their right in healthcare, and then again, general information about autism, about computer and internet access, and links to reliable medical information. Next slide. Um, also um, uh, on the on the toolkit are a number of tool of tools of forms and worksheet. Um, these are things that uh, in our in our studies we found participants really. Um, value. Um, there's worksheets around making an appointment, around what to bring to a healthcare visit, um, how to describe their symptoms, how to make sure that they're following up with um, all, their uh, all the, the things that have been recommended. Next slide. 
And then the centerpiece of the toolkit is what we call our Autism Healthcare Accommodations Toolkit, or AHAT for short. Um, this is um, but this is a tool that helps um, participants get the accommodations they need. Um, the participant or their supporter fills out a survey uh, focusing on how they communicate, what supports the, uh, supporters there are in their lives, and all sorts of um, possibilities around accommodations and strategies. Um, the computer then takes this information and creates a personalized report for providers. Um, and this is interesting, you know, what's interesting is that it actually took us way more time to find a, a, a report that providers would read than anything else. But we do feel like we've gotten something that is very provider friendly in terms of focusing on the actionable things they can um, most do to facilitate care. Next slide. This is an example of the format of it. You'll see there's, there's, there's particular topics and then there's bulleted lists of very practical things a provider might do for this particular patient, which may be different than what they would need to do for a different patient. Next slide. Um, we tested our toolkit with 170 autistic adults. Um, and we found that the vast majority found that the material was important, useful, and easy to understand. And what I was most excited about is a month after using the toolkits, we were um, um, participants reported fewer barriers to healthcare, greater healthcare self-efficacy, and improved um, participant-provider communication. Now, of course, that was just a, a pre-post test, and we're now currently doing a, a controlled study with a, with um, within three health systems to see how this will work in in integrating it into health systems. Um, ultimately, the idea is that participants can use the AHAT to consider their accommodation needs and how to, and how to communicate about them um, and how to improve their self-advocacy. This also helps providers understand and more, be more receptive to reasonable accommodations. Um, and um, we've been very careful to make sure that the reports are easily shared with providers and staff or case managers or anyone else who may use them. Next slide. So, I've talked about a lot of things today. I think the, the most important take-home points is autism is really common in adulthood. Again, estimated to be about 1% of the population. And even though many of those are undiagnosed, the large cohort of diagnosed children are now reaching adulthood. Um, there's many opportunities for health, the healthcare system to improve our capability to provide adequate care for adults on the autism spectrum. Um, there are tools, and I said I'd love for you guys to um, use the tools that we've made. They've been publicly funded and are available for free um, because we really do um, believe that um, it's important to um, to have uh, greater healthcare experiences for our autistic participants. Um, and of course, there's still lots and lots of work to be done, and I'm hoping that we can push at a whole system to improve um, um, the, the, the health and the well-being of autistic adults. Um, ultimately, addressing their, the health care needs can make a really huge difference in the lives um, of, uh, of autistic individuals. Um, I very much appreciate your um, uh, you're uh, listening, and I also appreciate the um, incredible work that's been done by my uh, Aspire healthcare partner, um, Aspire um, team, including both of our academic partners and our autistic partners. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes a full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.